0: Well, hi again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming out with another episode of Inside Curling. Uh, we've been doing lots of them. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And in particular, thank you to all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of Mailbag and Coyote Tractor, brings you Hot Rock Topics. Storytime, which is always entertaining. Thank you to Meridian for sponsoring that. And in the house, our guest spot is brought to you by Goldline. Let me first make sure uh, Kevin is standing up. Because he's been doing, uh, I don't know, forty-two hours a day <laughs> of, of shows. Are you good to go, Kev? We're good to go, Jimmy. Thanks. All right, stick around, everyone. We'll be back in a minute. Last rock, eighth end, up by two.
1: I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Don't, don't oh, don't kill it, Ben. Don't kill
2: it. Don't chill. Oh, line's really good. Line's Last stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes up as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can
0: celebrate. He is is a champion. Welcome back, everybody. Here's what's on the show today with Kevin and Warren, of course. We're going to make some comments. Maybe we got in a little trouble yesterday. Uh, Brad Gushu, not happy with us. Uh, We're going to talk about that. Also, the women's worlds is in Prince George we got to check in there and see how things are going. Uh, as we said, a special show that we did last Friday talking about the number of teams and the changes that are happening. It was just a raft of them, a whole bunch. Bruce Mowat, a little further, we said he was upset for sure, at the least, that he's not going to the Worlds. Another team is. He weighed in on that. We're going to bring you up to speed. Also, from an email that we got from someone, uh, winning gold medals is, seems to be the topic du jour and, and Canada... You know, being sort of left in the wake a little bit with these other countries. But what about curling clubs? There's a thought that if we don't keep getting young kids in the game, in the worst, it could fizzle out. So we'll talk about that. Mailbag, we got a couple of interesting emails. In the house, Ina Forrest, who is a wheelchair curler, came back from the Paralympics with a bronze medal, and we're going to talk to her. And story time, uh, we might leave this up to you, Warren. You've got a lot of stories, okay? We could make this a two-hour segment every day. Uh, if you want to email us, get a hold of us, curling at gmail.com. All right, Kev, let's first go to you. You're in Prince George. Uh, the women's world is well underway. Uh, bring us up to speed. Yeah, everything's going really well here. Actually,
3: the ice is fantastic. It's moving a lot. Very keen. You're at fourteen and a half. and no, I haven't seen 15s much yet, but around 14 and a half. The teams are doing well. Not, not a big surprise for the most part. As we tape this show, Korea... Uh, Switzerland and Japan are undefeated. Team Japan, this is a different team than normally comes out. Koji Fujisawa, for the most part, comes out. But this is uh, Kitazawa and uh, playing very well. This, you know, this is a team I didn't know about and technically sound very, very solid. So I guess that shouldn't be a big surprise. And of course, Alina Pets uh, and uh, Sylvain Terenzoni, they are just on fire early in this one, beating Sweden in a tremendous game that we had the uh, opportunity to call. Also beating Canada, so they've taken down two of the of the big teams so far and undefeated. So they're looking good. And Unjin Kim out of Korea, undefeated so far. So not a big surprise. USA actually uh, lost a game last night to Japan and uh, Corey Christensen on her first one in the last end. Tie game coming home, US has hammer, tight guard, beautiful come around made by Japan, makes a run back. The guard stays at the center guard. Come around and US has the kicker. So I just thought she'd throw the same come, run back again, but decided to play a, a tap instead on the exact same shot. Could have played the run back again crashed on the guard, lost the game. So that was a huge loss for us. They could easily be at three and all right now, but they're doing well. Sweden, of course, in the mix, uh, the only loss they've had is to Switzerland. Denmark at two and one doing pretty good actually. And Norway last rocks being thrown by somebody who of course is no stranger and Kristen Skazlian, but usually in mixed doubles, we watch her and Magnus Negregotton playing in mixed doubles all the time, but they're actually here, she's throwing last rocks for Norway. And then everybody else, Canada's a two and two. So they need to get their game together a little bit. They're struggling a little bit right now. And uh, so if they can get it together, no problem. But they need to just kind of get that train on the tracks and going. And then everybody else is chasing in the group. One big part is, unfortunately, and really unfortunately, Team Scotland, because of COVID, they were playing with three players. But then another one of the players actually tested positive, so they are actually out of the competition, Jim. Oh no! I, I don't believe that has ever happened uh, before, where a team has had to pull out because of uh, anything like this. So we're down one team here at the women's worlds, Jim.
0: Uh, so nothing to worry about, right, Kev? Too early to worry about Canada not not coming through here. Oh yeah, no,
3: no, 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 no. Well, they're sitting at two and two, so that's not that's not too bad. They are in upper mid pack right now mm-hmm. but you know win the next two you're four and two you're you're back sailing again but for right now they're not play- what I'm worried about is that they're just not playing really really well the game against Switzerland was was a 11 to 3 after six ends 11 3 so you know, at every end, Kerry Anderson was in big trouble. So the team, the whole like the whole team just needs to pick up their game a little bit, and they'll be just fine, Jim, but they need to pick up the game.
0: Good deal. Kev, what about the tick rule? This is the first event where there's no tick rule. What are your thoughts there? It's
3: pretty early. Um, it's certainly changing strategy late in the games. I'm really excited to see the stats as the week goes on. Right now, there's no question that teams have got so good at the tick shot. One thing I'm noticing, this is, this is going to be interesting because the leads, even early in the game when you, know, you throw a center guard and they may throw a corner guard, or whatever the case may be, the leads are really concentrating on getting that rock on the center line every single time they throw a center guard, even if it's not a time when the other team might play the tick shot. I think the teams are all just really concentrating on doing it every time, all the time, forever. So it's a bit of a different mindset at the lead position, and certainly you can see in the faces of the athletes, there's more stress on the player getting that rock on the center line. It's kind of it's really fun, and it's going to be interesting to see the stats at the end if there are more
2: steals. Do you think they'll stick with it, Warren? The no tick? Well, it's hard to say. My observation at this point is I think there's more play towards the middle than you'd normally see from my uh, observation. And I I think that's kind of what this is deciding to do. And of course, with more play towards the middle, that's going to be more opportunity to scoring because we're getting closer to the mixed doubles concept. So we'll see, don't know.
0: What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. You gotta be 19 to play and we want you to play responsibly. And lots of people are having fun throwing a few shekels down on curling. Kev, did you give Brad Gushu a hug? (laughs) Not, not. <laughs> yeah, you know what, uh, Jimmy? I,
3: I had a great talk, Brad and I are really good friends, so we had a great talk actually right so that's that 's good to get this done with and, and out of the way, and we can we can carry on, but go ahead
0: yeah, so uh, anyway, the story that broke, we were you know talking about all the teams that are breaking up, including your son right who 's starting on another new team and a bunch of other teams. And then there was this mention about the residency rule in our special edition, and Brad thought it was us saying he wants to change the residency rule, but, but that was not the case. Uh, I got an idea, Kev. Anything bad that happens on this show, let's blame Warren. Anything good, we'll take the credit. Okay. That's already happening, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Hanson, <laughs> you're, you're on. You've got the floor. Uh, what about all this stuff about Gushu and the residency rule?
2: Well, when we did the show Friday, uh, I made reference to the fact that uh, Brad, Brad was lobbying Curling Canada to get the rule changed. And what I meant to say was he was lobbying to try and get the rule changed for all of sport, not just for Brad Gushu. And I think I think Brad agrees that he wants to see that rule change as do most of the top players. So it came out a little uh, in, in, incorrect in the fact that it sounded, I guess, like I, I was suggesting it was Brad trying to do this just for himself. And no, he's trying to get it changed for for the entire sport curling and i think most of the top players in the game are so uh, if that came out incorrectly we apologize but it was not what we meant
0: yeah and uh out of that story by the way we want to thank all our listeners they've been very loyal over the last several months well, you know but you you stirred up some stuff kev and warren okay and uh here's what it meant it was one of the most visited stories this weekend to sportsnet.ca uh, top three most consumed episodes uh, for our show, for Inside Curling. Top 10 all weekend in the sports podcast charts in Canada. Social engagement went through the roof on this. So let's get controversial, boys, and we're going to get more <laughs> listeners. The old, all, all press is good press. Stay tuned, and I guess we'll talk about more of this. Uh, people are weighing in left and right. Okay, let's move along. On last weekend's show, we talked about a statement by Bruce Mowat outlining the frustration of not being selected for the men's Worlds in Vegas, which just seems unheard of. They're the best team, one of the best teams in the world. John Buchanan has sent us a note explaining a little further about why Mal was upset. Warren, you're going to bring us up to speed on that.
2: I will. So this is quite a lengthy email. I'm not going to read it at all. I'll try to pick out the parts from John that explain what was happening. But uh, let me first say, I'm going to say, quote him, the policy. And the policies he's referring to is that A couple years ago, Scottish Curling decided that they were going to have a selection committee decide the teams that would represent them at the Worlds. But there was a few kind of caveats in there as to what you had to do to be considered for this. So I'll just read according to what has been sent to me by Jonathan. The policy has been used a number of times up until this point without too much complaint. But this year was slightly different. To fulfill their agreement to British curling, Mowat and Muirhead both have to play the Scottish Championships in order to be considered for selection. This was made impossible by the fact that the Olympic finals were Saturday the 19th and Sunday the 20th of February, while the Scottish Championships started the next day, Monday the 21st. Clearly it had not been impo- impossible for either of the Olympic teams to compete. Who knows how much leeway Scottish curling had with the dates, but it does seem silly to have these two extremely important events right next to each other in the schedule. A long story short, Patterson and Morrison won the Scottish championship on the men's and women's side, respectively. And team Mowat is understandably disappointed. Olympic gold and silver medalists teams losing out to, with no shade, far lesser teams with little top experience. If the selection policy had been introduced, it would have been far more easy to justify the selection of Patterson and Morrison. But since the policy does exist, it seems to me to be silly not to send our Olympians. I have no idea what the legal intervention was referring to, but nor does anyone else I've heard from. So basically what we're saying is Mowat and Muirhead, to be able to be selected to represent Scotland, would have had to play in the Scottish Championships... The dates for the Scottish Championships were set up in such a manner that it was impossible for them to play, and as a result, they became ineligible. So a little more detail to that story, but an interesting one. What if it was
0: Canada's case, Warren? Say, say you've got Goosh, who's the number one team, and they couldn't play in the Briar, yet they are light years ahead of everybody else. Would you make an exception to send them to the world?
2: Well, again, once you've got policy in place that's been passed by a board, you, you face again, if you start changing these things on the fly, you can it's legal intervention. And so you can't just mm-hmm. do this uh, at the last minute. So things are sometimes put in place with maybe not enough detail thought of what if, what if, and all of a sudden something happens and it's not working anymore. And now they don't know what to do. So... Difficult situation is too bad because I think uh, Scotland, I, I, I'm sure would have uh, loved to have both those top teams playing. A lot of people on our Facebook group saying, saying, well, you let the younger teams go and get some experience. But going under fire at a world championship is a pretty difficult way to get your, your first experience. And to be successful in any way, shape, and form at a young age doing that is not too likely. And if world championship wins mean anything, and certainly in Scotland we know from their funding model it does then I think those things have to be considered.
0: Okay, uh, there you go. That's what's happening around the curling world. I hope you're up to speed now. Watch for more things uh, down the road. We talk about a bunch of stuff each and every week. Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction for sponsoring what's happening around the curling world. Time for Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor, proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. And yes, this has been a hot topic uh, through a lot of podcasts that we've done. We've talked a lot about what's happening in the curling, in the facilities across Canada, meaning the clubs. Roy Grosfield has sent us a note that says, we should be more worried about the biggest elephant in the room, which is not Canada winning medals at the Olympics and the worlds, the game becoming extinct at the grassroots level. I've seen it happening over the last 20 plus years. With next to zero kids coming into the game, it will be done in 10 years. In Calgary, the larger clubs are nowhere near full, never mind what is going on in the smaller ones. Uh, this sounds pretty serious, Warren. What do you think
2: about it? Well, we've talked about it quite a bit. There's a real variety of things going on. There's clubs out there that are doing very well because of how they're being run. There's ones that are so-so and there's ones that are having great difficulty. And of course, as we're well aware, there's clubs that are disappearing every year because they can't keep their head above water. And certainly after this COVID thing, it's going to be interesting to see what happens going into next season. But it's an issue, and it's been an issue for a long time. There's really been no solution to it other than little things happening here, little things happening there. I had a really good talk with a a young guy here about two weeks ago who's the manager of a club, and I don't want to mention his name because of something I might say might incriminate him. But we really got into a discussion about all this, and he's pretty successful where he is. But he brought up a really good point, and his concern was he's worked at about three different clubs, and he's had to move usually because of his issues with the board. And what we forget is these clubs are all run by volunteer boards primarily, and numbers vary. And who gets on those boards and what their thoughts may be about thing may really impact how a club is run. And, and in most cases, they can directly interfere with what a manager thinks and what he's trying to do and, and rather than let him proceed down the line. So if you get somebody in that board that's maybe got old thinking. The manager comes in and, and wants to do some new and different things and he's kneecapped. And uh, his point to me was uh, the, the policy governance uh, model, which I think is controversial as well, he thinks might work better with curling clubs where the club hires the manager, but then the board can't interfere really in what he's doing on a day-to-day basis to run the club, and I guess you let him do what he's going to do, and if he doesn't effectively make things happen, then you force can change him. But I think again that's something we've never talked about, and I think it's a problem with all amateur sport from my experience. They're all run by volunteer boards. Some of the people on those boards can be very good, some kind of so-so, and some simply just don't do the job they need to. And because of the power that they can sometimes have, it can create a lot of issues. So he brought up a really good point, I think, as one of the challenges that's facing many of these clubs. But it's a problem, and the exact solution to it, I don't know, but they need to start talking about it. Kevin, what do you think? Well,
3: yes, obviously it's an important issue. And, and thanks for sending that uh, that note. Um, I did have a really, really good chat with Bob Popel. Now we've talked about Bob before. He's the uh, manager of the Thistle Club in Edmonton. And I just had a talk with him a couple of days ago and their club is doing it very well. He says, we've had an excellent year and not all clubs are having excellent years because of, well, the, the pandemic and just the last two years have been kind of crazy. He's done a lot of stuff. And I said to Bob, we got to have him on the show. we got to bring Bob on and let let him tell the whole story of, of the club and what's going right and so on. But one small thing that he said has shocked him is that they're playing triples, and I'm not sure what evening. I don't want to get into that. Bob can tell us. He'll, we'll get him on in the next few weeks. Whatever evening it is, these triple games are only taking a little over an hour. So in the normal amount of time, I won normal 8 and four-person game. They're actually putting in two draws of triples, and... He's actually having to send, well, not to send people away, but send them upstairs. There's no more ice room. Like it's a drop in league and people just come and they curl one triples game, which only takes a little over an hour. You go play and then you hit the, have hit the bar, have a drink and BS and do the stuff that curlers are really good at. And then the next group goes out and then all these people are watching the other people play. It's just become a very popular, well, really kind of a phenomenon because it's kind of new. This whole concept of the game being really fast, go up, have a drink or two, and then you're gone home. Kind of like golf, where you know it takes you five hours. Same with curling. Like if you take a two, two and a half hour game, but you get there a little early, meet with the, your teammates, and have a you know a BS session, and then afterwards you want to have have a beer, or a drink or two. Well, you're turning into four hours. Well, this is quick. You you're there, you play, do the camaraderie. And you're maybe home in two, two and a half hours. Pretty nice. So or I promise we'll get Bob on to tell you more about it, everybody. But pretty neat idea that standpoint of the curling club, you're putting more people through. You're getting more people, more interest. And the beginners are loving it because they come in, they have to skip. They have to play all the positions in triples. Everybody remember, we it's two rocks each, triples, six rocks per end. It goes fast, but everybody plays two ends at each position, six ends total. And we'll, we'll get Bob on talking about that, but it's really exciting to see uh, a different way of looking at running the curling club and getting interest from the community. I think it's good.
0: Yeah. You've always said, Kevin, that the sport is growing uh, exponentially in the States and over in Asia, it's getting really big. Do, do, you know, according to this email, Kevin, do, do we need to worry about Canada or is it growing as well with the young kids? Well, I think Warren made a great point that some clubs are doing fantastic. Uh, but I'm
3: not sure that the, the same old Tuesday nights men's league, Wednesday nights women's league, Thursday nights mixed league. I think we need to be willing to to try new things. That's I guess that's the only point I'm trying to make here. Is let's not get stuck in in, in the way it's always been because mm-hmm. you know curling clubs have been around for a very long time. But maybe, like for myself, just with my lifestyle, I couldn't possibly make every Tuesday night men's league game now. Mm-hmm. I just can't the way the way my life works. But I could make it. Sometimes I might just have to be kind of like my golf. I can't be in a part of a men's league golf. I just, I'm not around all the time at the same time. Mm-hmm. My life doesn't work that way. So there should be an avenue where you want me to be in the club as much as I can be in the club and, and happy to spend my money there. Mm-hmm. But it can't be the traditional way just because my, my job, the way I live, isn't traditional. I don't work nine to five. You know what I mean? That's just, right. it's just not the way I am. And a lot of people are like that. Not a lot of people don't have the nine-to-five job, which is great, but but we need to look after the people that don't as well.
0: Right on. Uh, Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Thanks a lot for Coyote sponsoring that segment. Mailbag, coming up right now. We get a ton of them. Email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. It's brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. Jeff Hollett writes us, good email here. Hey guys, I just listened to your podcast for the first time and found it excellent. It was so fun to listen to. I don't have any questions, but do have a funny story. Oh, we love that. I'm from Newfoundland, living in Ottawa currently. And 10 to 15 years ago, I rented a basement apartment in St. John's while I was in university. My favorite curler was always Kevin Martin. And once he retired, it quickly became fellow Newfie, Brad Gushu. There you go, Brad, okay? That's a positive thing I said. <laughs> in this basement apartment, we shared a laundry room with the landlords upstairs. One day I was doing laundry and turned around and was in shock for several moments. Staring at me, just hanging there, was the costume for the briar bear, the mascot, you know, for the briars. I remember him. <laughs> I very... This guy's everywhere, the briar bear. I very eagerly spoke to my landlords, I believe their names were Reg and Diane, and found out, in fact... It was Briar Bear. I instantly asked them about Kevin Martin, and they said they knew him and that he's a wonderful man. It's great when you hear your favorite player is also a great person. Every time I saw the Briar after that on TV, I always smiled and remembered that story and really wanted to share it with you guys today. Keep up the great work. That's from Jeff. Warren, what is the guy doing? Shouldn't the Briar Bear be dry cleaning his outfit and not, eh, not tossing it into some rental? Now I know unit? How,
2: why we had to buy a new one every two to three years because he was washing it. <laughs> Ridge, yeah, really?
0: The guy kept, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that's that's funny. You reckon you reckon washing machines, Briar Bear, everywhere? Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: so, just to those of you who don't know, Briar Bear is Ridge. Coggy from St. John's and his wife, Diane, and Reg was Briar Bear, I think, for 37 years. Started way back in Halifax in 1981 when he was living there and working there, and then originally, and then he moved back to Newfoundland, but that's what we're talking about is Reg Coggy. Thanks a lot, Jeff,
0: uh, for your email. We appreciate it, and you can uh, email us, and if we uh, read your email, you're going to get a digital copy of Warren's book uh, all about how curling came into the Olympics. It's called Sticks and Stones, and it's uh, available now. So we're going to be sending that out and Jeff will get a copy of that. Thanks a lot uh, to Nestle Boost for sponsoring Mailbag. Okay, it's time for In the House. Uh, We love when we have a guest on. It's brought to you by Goldline Curling Equipment. They can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of Curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. So we've got our guest. There she is knocking at the door, and our guest is the reigning bronze medalist from the Paralympics. Ina Forrest uh, joins us uh, this morning. Thank you very much, Ina, for uh, being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let me just give some stats here, and then Kevin's going to jump in. Bronze medalist, of course, at the Paralympics in Beijing. You have also been a member of the gold medal team at the 2010, the 2014 uh, Olympics, and the bronze medalist uh, at the 2018 Games. You've also won gold at the Worlds 2009, 2011, 2013, and a silver medalist in 2020. Where do you keep all the medals, Ina?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hidden away for safety's sake, I guess. You don't need them all lying around the house.
0: Well, congratulations on a great career. Uh, Kev, over to you.
3: Uh, thank you very much, Anna, for coming on, and congratulations on the podium finish at the recent Olympic Games in Beijing. One thing I wanted to ask you though, with when it comes to Paralympic curling, what's the most important part of getting onto that podium? What's the key when it comes to curling? Because with China's won their second straight gold medal, so what makes the difference? What gets you to the to the podium? What gets you to the top of the podium?
1: I think we have to just keep moving forward with all the advancements that are coming out. Um, In the years that I've played, the game has changed quite a bit in how strategy is, the amount of weight that people throw, Um, sticks have got longer, stick heads have changed. So you just have to keep going along with all the changes that are happening in our sport and being the best at using the new changes. Um, For China, they are now throwing incredible weight that kind of takes the ice out of it, but they're also very... Um, accurate at what they do. So it's important on you know, your skills up.
3: This wasn't one of the questions, but it sure piqued my interest. How are they technically um, without getting everybody super confused, able to throw it harder than say uh, most other teams? What what are they doing different technically to make that occur?
1: I guess to throw it harder is probably just a strength differential. So it's a lot of training to be able to push the rock for the short distance that you have it on your stick At that speed, but you also have to be very accurate if you throw that speed because there's no coming back after it's thrown, say, outside. So it's a lot of work. It's making sure your chair is lined up correctly and that you are very, very accurate on your broom.
3: So, for for the, I'm, I'm, I I do actually at the Salvo watch your team's uh, training, but what would you say is a tougher shot in wheelchair curling? Uh, The draws, takeouts, or the soft type of? hack board weight type of stuff
1: i think it's a soft hack board weight kind of stuff because you really have to have great reading of your ice we don't have any sweeping to help the rock once it starts to curl so you really have to know your ice and throw the exact right weight because you can call a soft shot 11 and if you're coming in at a 12 it follows quite a different trajectory going down the ice. So I think that's our toughest
2: shot. Interesting. Warren. Congratulations again, Ayn, on your bronze medal win. That was fabulous. And, and thank you for joining us today. Let's uh, let's go back to that final game in Beijing. And you were one up, coming home, had the hammer. But when your person throwing the fourth stone, John Thorsten, went to deliver his first, he was looking at a pretty daunting situation. The opposing team, Slovakia, had two rocks more or less behind cover and uh, he attempted a double takeout, kind of almost a, double, a come around double, leave you sitting three. And that was pretty much I think the the turning point in that game. So tell us about that that final conclusion in that game against Slovakia.
1: Yeah, you you see the end not really shaping up in our favor. Um and we were peeling and trying to keep it open so that John would have a shot. Uh, but they were very good at keeping the cover going up. So it was amazing to have just the perfect broom and the perfect weight to get around that guard and make that double takeout, avoiding everything else in the house too. So it was it was a highlight reel shot.
2: So would that be one of the best shots you've ever seen at that uh, level in wheelchair curling?
1: It'd be right up there. Uh, there are some incredible shots that happen in our game. And yes, that would be right up there with the best.
2: Yeah, it made a lot of news clips uh, here in Canada anyway. So again, that was a great finish and, and great for you guys to, to grab that uh, bronze. Let's talk about the Olympics in, in China we've heard a little bit back here what things were like with accommodation transportation considering a pandemic what was it uh, like overall from your point of view give us a little insight as to what took place
1: uh, it was a very different games from the fact being in a bubble compared to others so you're there with not a lot to do in the sort of pre-game time when you're getting acclimatized our accommodations were amazingly nice um, lots of room lots of bathrooms everyone had their own individual bedroom the dining hall was adequate, you know, it wasn't hugely expensive, maybe like other Paralympics, but definitely there was always something to eat and be happy with. Um, and then the venue was fantastic. We'd played there in October, so we knew what we were coming to, but yeah, they really organized the event and kept things running just really really well we were very impressed
2: so you've done a number of olympics world championships you've been very successful do you plan on continuing and trying to go to the next olympics in 2026 what are your plans with regard
1: to wheelchair curling it's that same thing for everybody after you finish a quad and you have to sit back and realize that if you're going forward you have to dedicate yourself for another four years so kind of in that stage of you're in the Paralympic euphoria, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And then the other side of it is in another two weeks, you might be going, oh, yeah, but that's four years away. And if COVID gets in the middle of it, so I'm not there yet with where I'm going.
2: Let's talk a little bit about your past. You're disabled. Tell us a bit about uh, how that's all happened and how did you become interested in wheelchair curling and get started in it?
1: I was in a motor vehicle accident when I was 21. We were headed to a volleyball tournament and we were hit by an impaired driver. So I sustained a spinal cord injury and I'm a paraplegic. I played in a lot of sports previous to my accident and then was out of sports for a long time. Tried to get back into disabled sport, tried swimming, then I was invited to try basketball, but it was right in the middle when I was having children, so that wasn't working out. And moved down to the Armstrong, and I tried out biathlon and curling kind of simultaneously. And at the age I was then, at um, 42-ish, biathlon was a bit of a stretch with the training that it took and all the endurance, so I kind of fell into wheelchair kerning as my option. And it was a perfect fit for me at my age and stage of life.
2: So you're an Armstrong and you're curling in Vernon. How does this all work out with the Vernon Curling Club? Are there a number of wheelchair athletes playing there? Do you have a league? Uh, How do you participate?
1: When I started, um, Sonia Gaudet and I were both curling out of the Vernon Curling Club. So that was a great start to have somebody to train with. And we spent a lot of hours together doing all of our training she quit playing in 2017 so now I train pretty much by myself and there really isn't anybody else that is in a wheelchair that curls out of there but I've been on a able-bodied team since 2005 so you're always playing and learning the game from being in the able-bodied league.
2: That's interesting so are there other potential athletes in the Vernon area that you're aware of who might like to play have you ever talked to anybody else uh, interesting you're just the only one now?
1: Yeah, there are a few more players um, in Kelowna, and it kind of ebbs and flows. Same thing where people are in life and, you know, how active the curling community is at that time. So right now with COVID, a lot of things provincially and nationally have been shut down for players that just are not at the national team level. Um, But we have had interest shown friends of people who are on the national team. And then this year I've been contacted by two people in the Vernon area who would like to come out and try curling. So, you know, it, it comes and goes. It's a tough thing to attract new curlers to the sport.
0: Ina, talk about, uh, you know, this is, this is heroic when we hear this story about you and you explain to us the, the accident that you were in at 21 years old. How do you adjust mentally, Ina, when that you, know, you wake up that day going, oh my God this is what lies ahead for me. And and there would be a couple of choices, I guess, for some people to try and move through it. How did you tackle all this when, when you were handed this unbelievable life altering moment and made some decision about how you were going to carry on with the rest of your life?
1: Yeah, that first morning when you wake up and things haven't changed and you're still paralyzed, that's a, a tough awakening. Um I think for me, I had such great support from my family. There's seven kids in my family, so everybody took a turn coming down and visiting me. I was down in Vancouver from April until October doing my rehab. And it makes such a difference when you have so many people there you can talk to and they support you and show you're the same person that you were before. You're just having a mobility issue. It was all, so this is where I've got, and I just have to make the most of it and keep pushing ahead to be as good as I can be and pretty well normal besides the fact that you have to use a wheelchair to get around.
0: Right. Uh, what What would you, and do you have the opportunity to, and if you do, what do you advise uh, if this happens to other people where they would end up being paralyzed?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is the support part of it um, and trying to get out and join society in every way that you can. Because, I mean, truly for my situation, which is not the same as everybody's situation, um, you can be just a regular part of society. And if it takes more adjustment, then you just have to get out there and figure out what those adjustments are. Uh, it's not easy. I, I can say it's not easy, but certainly I think having friends and family support you is the first step and the biggest step that anybody can have to help them adjust.
0: Amazing, uh, absolutely amazing. You know, we want to talk about the future of the sport. This is always a hot topic about curling uh, on all levels, at the Paralympics and and able body curling. Is it growing, Ina? And and how do you see the future of the sport?
1: I mean, our program's strong. The coaching staff is a strong group. There's changes, you know, over the years, and so there is room for growth. I think COVID has been really hard on curling in general. We've had so many events that are canceled, and without having sort of that next step. It's hard for people to go beyond just being a recreational curler and you always need people who are improving their skills and moving up. The recruitment is really important. And also because mixed doubles is now going to become a Paralympic sport as well. Then we have five curlers on the four man team Then there'll be two curlers on the mixed doubles team. And then all the alternate people that you'd have to have, you know, ready to go if someone is unwell or can't make the trip. So it does open up room for more people to be involved in the national team program. And there has to be some way that all those people are identified, which I think it's the toughest thing is finding the new people or the people that have the ability and the skills to move to the national team.
2: What's happening around the world? Is it, uh, is it growing in other countries? Do you know uh, what's taking place?
1: You know, you don't really know besides what you see of the people that are at the games. And from most countries, you see the same players year after year after year. You know, maybe one person changes out. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of change just in the national teams that come to the international events. I mean, I know that China has a, a young group. We see a few different players coming from there. Korea comes with different teams from time to time, but overall, I think they are the same. And now with mixed doubles coming in, they're also going to have to be trying to find extra players. And I think usually it's a situation of finding a strong female.
2: So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Now, Jim Armstrong tells me, that he is the best wheelchair curler of all time. But what I, what I want to ask you is, who really is the best wheelchair curler of all time?
0: <laughs> I'm going with Ina. I think it's Ina. Uh, I'm looking at your stats again.
1: Is it safe to see yourself? And that, Oh, I think that's a year-to-year thing, who's the best from one year to the next. And overall, uh, there's so many great curlers out there, and it's not just in Canada, it's in other countries as well. I mean, Wang Haithao is pretty good right now. <laughs> you might put him at the top, and he's been around for a while. So, yeah, I think that's very subjective to who you are and who you enjoy watching.
0: We're giving you the title, know.
1: <laughs> I've lasted a long time, so that counts? <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely. Um, how, do you, how do you divide your time, I Aina, um, when you're not curling, and how much time do you practice the game and spend on the ice?
1: Uh, well, we're small business owners, so I'm a property manager. We own buildings and lease out space, so that's my job when I'm at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we have three children. They're all grown now, but through my curling career, I've my main job is being a mom and being home for them. And in between all that, then you fit in curling where you can. And it obviously, with the kids out of the house, it gets a little bit more that I have time to spend at it. Mm-hmm. I would play... Usually during season, two games a week, practice two to three times a week and train strength training um, two to three times per week. And then with national team, generally speaking, we'd be getting together at least once a month for used to be sort of three day camps. And now we have more like five day camps once a month. And then whatever competitions, which have been very limited over the last few years. But previous to that, we might travel overseas once for a week to two weeks to play in international bond spills.
0: Oh my God, Ina, take a day off. Holy man.
1: (laughs) Well, I take summers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've never felt more inept in my life when I just heard your schedule. Wow.
1: (laughs) Hey, that's, that's a really dedicated week too. You know, some weeks aren't so dedicated.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, obviously you are dedicated, Uh, Ina. Thanks so much for coming on. Congratulations on an unbelievable career. And it looks like you're not going to slow down with this. So on behalf of, Canada. I shouldn't speak on behalf of Canada, but but congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the Prime Minister here. Uh, Congratulations on an unbelievable career and of course your recent bronze medal at the Beijing Olympics. Uh, Thanks a lot, Ina. Uh, Go relax for a couple hours, okay, before you do something else. We really appreciate you coming on. Take care.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks, Ina. Good luck. Thank you. Good luck.
0: Holy man, Warren! What what a what an absolute fantastic representative for the Paralympics and wheelchair curling! I can, I'm, I'm exhausted hearing how much she does with her with her
2: day. Yeah, they're they're quite amazing. We we didn't talk to her about it, but uh, Sonia Gade is another wheelchair athlete in Vernon, and Sonia was put into the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame here, I think, two years ago. So uh, she was also an outstanding player, and uh, hats off to all these people that. Uh, take it on themselves to become wheelchair athletes. It's a huge accomplishment, and I know the struggles that they must face and what they're doing.
0: Yeah, you know, when I hear a story like that, Warren, uh, I've got to admit, it just it kind of minimizes all my problems, you know, when I, when I hear what these people have done, you know, fa- fantastic. Thanks very much to Goldline Curling. Uh, they bring us in the house each and every week, and, of course, our guest was Ina Forrest, and thanks to her for joining us today. Okay, time for story time. Uh, Warren, I love this. You hit me up last night with what you're going to talk about, and I got... Hooked into this when, when you hear about what it is, uh, I'll give you my little blurb on what happened to me. Storytime is brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners, and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Warren, one of the traditions at the Briar is morning classes, and uh, you're going to explain that to us. Uh, I got, when I first went to the Briar, and someone said, "Have you been to morning classes, Jimmy?" I said, "No, what, you know, what's it all about?" Well, they're going to teach you about curling. Uh, anyway, long story short, Warren, I showed up there at eight in the morning, and uh, I was drunk by about <laughs> nine, by about eight forty five. Morning classes isn't quite what it is, what you think it is, Warren. Tell us about it.
2: Well, it's a bit of Briar history, and of course, the Briar has been gone for a couple of weeks. And I was wondering if the Thunder Bay group that normally organizes morning classes was in Left bridge. So we'll take a look at morning classes and where it came from, and uh, it's quite a story. So if you've ever been to the Briar, as Jim has many times, you've probably experienced attending morning classes. Morning classes happens daily during the Briar in a specialized room at the headquarters hotel, and it operates between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m., and can best explained as a pregame ritual before the sport starts for the day. A bit of the hair of the dog to recover from the previous evening in the patch. It was originally gin, a little sugar, and hot water, but today it resembles, probably if anything else, a Tom Collins. <laughs> so, where does this all come from, and how has it continued now for almost 75 years? I was checking, and I think if they had been able to do morning classes the last two years, next year would have been its 75th year. Amazing. Wow. Anyway, it goes back its origins to the World, World War II when the briar was put on hold for three years. Coley Campbell, then from Northern Ontario, was an officer in the army, departed for Gibraltar. When he arrived there, he found the morale of the men was really low and he wanted to do something to perk things up a bit and give them a little faster step in their pace. He came up with an idea to lift the spirits as they came off a of shift by giving them a shot of gin to make life just a little brighter. When Campbell returned to Canada after the war, he got involved with the then-Dominion Curling Association that became the CCA. And he was president 1947-48. He also was a member of the Briar Trustees under the old McDonald Tobacco sponsorship until 1978. And when he was president of the DCA in 1948 at the Calgary Briar, he started the morning booze tradition known as then Coley's classes, which after his death in 1978 became morning classes. Colley also went on to become the president of the then ICF, now the World Curling Federation from 1969 until his death in 1978. Today, the sportsmanship award at the World Men's Championship is called the Colin Campbell Award. During his time at each and every briar and world championship, Colley himself would usually be found at the morning classes. After he passed away, his daughter, June Perry, continued the morning classes tradition for many years, but today it is directed by a group of recreational curlers from Northern Ontario, who traveled to the Briar each year to continue the tradition. The group comes from Northern Ontario. They picked up the torch because that's where Poly Campbell was originally from. So there you have it, the history of morning classes. Shot of gin.
0: I said, well, what? <laughs> how, about, how about a cup of coffee and a donut? Are you kidding me? When I went, <laughs> uh, all that aside, it's, it's a ton of fun though, Warren. I, I went uh, as much as I sort of complained about it. Uh, I went five days in a row, Warren. I said this is good. Yeah, I I went every day, (laughs) and then I went back to bed. Yeah, and then and then hit hit the patch. So, hair of the dog for sure. You gotta love curling, for all they do, and and the camaraderie, Warren. I've always said this of all sports, you know, curling has got this unbelievable combination of you know high skill, but this grassroots stuff. And that gang from Thunder Bay, they showed up every year. You know, great great group of guys. I want to say Al Fisker was one of the more. Does that ring a bell?
2: Yes, he was. Uh, yes, I know Wal Fisker quite well. Yes, he was.
0: Uh, there you have it. Uh, another show in the books uh, and a good one. Tune in each and every week uh, for another episode of Inside Curling. Uh, Kevin had to race off, by the way. He's doing 7,000 games a day for the, uh, for the Worlds. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we'd like to thank all of our sponsors, Goldline Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Nestle Boost, and Meridian Manufacturing. Uh, We're reaching out to curling clubs all around the world uh, to do a Zoom call. Uh, We've done a bunch of these uh, and we hook up with curling clubs and all your members or board of directors and we shoot the breeze for an hour uh, and it's been really well accepted. If you'd like to do that, get a hold of us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Also, thanks a lot to Rod Paulson. With the Facebook group is growing like crazy. Um, we, we gave you the stats on what's happening with people listening to the show. So it's getting bigger and better all the time. And we really appreciate you uh, listening to the show and joining our Facebook group and our Facebook page. Thanks a lot to Rod Paulson. His company, In-House Strategies, looks after all of that. Email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. If we read your email on the show, you're going to get a copy of Warren's book, Sticks and Stones, which is the story of how curling got into the Olympics. We'll send you a digital copy. Okay, Hanson, Gold Star, you did well today again. We're going to be back again with another episode of Inside Curling next week. Stay tuned, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Jim.